The Well is a gospel-centered church located in Boulder, Colorado. We exist to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. For more information about The Well, please visit us online at www.boulderwell.org. Guys, it is a delight to be with you tonight, and this uh, topic is um, its pretty daunting. Um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight, and in preparation for this, um, Maggie and Chase and I, we had, had a phone meeting, and and we just kind of talked a little bit about the well. And I preached here a few a few years back, and and know know these guys. So, but I wanted to know kind of what's the experience of of the folks who are going to be coming to this, and what's their experience and their understanding of the spirit. And and they explained like it's kind of all over the map. So, uh, there. Uh, how many of you guys have come from maybe a, a Pentecostal or charismatic background? I'm just curious. Handful. How many of you maybe have come from like uh, like ultra reformed, uh, like Presbyterian background. Anyone? Anyone? How many of you guys kind of uh, come from uh, somewhere in between that? Okay, that's the rest. Okay, great. Well, they they kind of describe that it's it's going to be sort of all over the map in terms of what your uh, uh, thoughts are on the spirit, what your actual experiences of the spirit might have been up to this point. So. Uh, I am happy that you're here, and I am uh, thrilled to be talking about uh, the Spirit. Now, uh, I, I wanted to start off by, um, um, I don't know, a word of warning. Uh, the Holy Spirit, when we usually reference him, uh, is usually thought of as a um, kind of a warm, cuddly uh, experience that we have with God in church or whenever we just kind of feel something great. Uh, we say, man, the Spirit. And, and, that's, and we'll talk about that, and, th- and that's good. However, um, whenever you begin to study and really see how the Spirit is revealed in the context of Christian Scripture, you see that the Holy Spirit, while good, is not safe. The Holy Spirit actually is not as safe to be in the presence of God's Spirit, actually, is not a very safe place to be. It's actually, in the New Testament, riddled with warnings. And so... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, just as we start off, I want to start off with just a, a highlight that what we're going to dive into tonight is not anything to be trifled with. This isn't like a, a kind of um, a, a seminar on a topic that's like a, um, I don't know, like a, a, a cherry on top of the icing and on top of the cake sort of thing for your theological grid. But... But the experience of God's Spirit as revealed in Scripture is actually uh, a very hot, a very um, 
a place that is to be entered into with great fear. So, uh, now I say that because scripturally, that's when we have pictures of the Spirit's activity, especially in the early church. So it's not like God is consuming fire, and it's like, oh, that's Old Testament stuff, and we don't have to worry. Now that Jesus has come, no, the, like, it's in the New Testament. Um, and... Uh, Um, there's another point I was going to make in there. Uh, something about uh, the Holy Spirit and the danger of the Holy Spirit. Um, anyway, I lost it. All right, come, go ahead and, and turn with me in your Bible real quick. Oh, I got it. Um, it's not just biblically that we see this. Whenever churches throughout history begin to focus on the Holy Spirit, but do so in a disproportionately, um, uh, in a disproportionately focused way, it almost always leads to heresy. And so if your experience of the Spirit becomes disconnected from or begins to diminish your experience of the Son, or diminish the authority and sovereignty of the Father, then a cursory look through church history shows that that actually leads to churches and people and whole faith traditions going into heresy, going in, into the woods. So it's dangerous because we see it in Scripture, but it's also dangerous because churches who get a disproportionately uh, uh, focused just on the Spirit and diminish some of the Father and some of the Son— Almost always it leads to leads astray. So dangers throughout. So lots of landmines. So let's just dive in to a landmine field. All right. So uh, so uh, just uh, turn to Matthew uh, 12, 31 uh, through 32. This is Jesus, and he's he's uh, will actually begin to teach on the Holy Spirit. And, and this is something that has, has petrified people throughout the ages, and so I just thought I'd join in that. Um, so Jesus, he says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. So Jesus is like, just in case you're going to get past this one, this age and the age to come. So pretty sobering. Um, so uh, whoever the Holy Spirit is and whoever this person that Jesus is referring to here, I mean, he, Jesus is like, guys, you can sin against me, son of man, son of God but don't mess with the Spirit. Okay, got it. Uh, and then it's reinforced again in Hebrews. So Hebrews 6, you can just write this down. You don't necessarily have to look it up, but just write it. By the way, take notes. Um, I'm pretty old school, so I just encourage you, if you have a pen, uh, I think you had like one sheet of paper I, I handed out. You can just turn it over and, and, and take notes. So I'm going to be going through uh, a, a fair amount of, of material. So Hebrews uh, 6, 4 uh, starts off this way. 
It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, uh, that passage is all kinds of theological questions that are raised, but the point I want to talk about here as we start is that evidently there is a way that someone can legitimately experience the Holy Spirit, but experience the Holy Spirit in a non-saving way. Um, This is in the early American church. Uh, Jonathan Edwards actually talked quite a bit about how do we... uh, explain these revivals that happen in Christian communities and yet people fall away. And, and it seems like they actually manifested some sort of presence of God's spirit, and, uh, but then they, they turn their back on, how do you explain this? And, and he would turn to this passage and say, well, actually, it's a phenomenon that's been a part of the church from the very beginning, that God's spirit in some way uh, allows himself to be experienced by certain people, and yet it's not in a saving way necessarily. So, tons of, of uh, theological questions arise out of that, but it's just, that's in there. So, one more thing to make us nervous about tonight. Uh, and, then, and then Acts uh, 5. So, this is in uh, the early church, and, uh, and I'll just read the story of a husband and wife who, uh, who ex- had this experience with the Holy Spirit. Let's see how it went for him. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he wanted to get full credit for something, where he only gave partial. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to who? To the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. By the way, notice the equation of lying against the Holy Spirit with lying against God. So the Holy Spirit's God. Um, Verse 5 continues, When Ananias heard these words, he fell dead. He fell down, breathed his last, and a great fear came upon all who heard it. No doubt. The young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. Continues. After an interval of about three hours, uh, so so if someone dies in, in a service, that's like the three hours, I guess, is the appropriate amount of time before you can start church again. Uh, And uh, three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her besides her husband. 
In verse, the last verse, it's the summary. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Okay, end of that little survey. Um, when it's talking about the Spirit of God, and tonight what we're going to be talking about is, um, is an experience of, the, of an almighty creator God. And uh, every time in, in the Old and New Testament, someone actually gets a vision of God, a picture of God. Um, their immediate response is never like to give God a high five and like a bear hug. The immediate response is always that of terror and repentance. Um, we see this manifest, all right, when the Holy Spirit's mentioned. Now, uh, but what's the, the good that comes out of this? There's a couple of really important things that make tonight worth it. One is this, is that the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, is the very presence of God that testifies to each one of us that we are actually his children. And so the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8, where he says uh, that the Spirit of God testifies to my spirit or to your spirit that we are children of God. And so while the Spirit of God is not to be entered into lightly, it is also true that we actually won't know and can't experience God as his children apart from God's Spirit. And so we have to, we have to begin to experience and to open ourselves up to God's presence because that is how we experientially know that we are children of God. Uh, second is that the Holy Spirit is deeply personal. While there is a, a great, in a sense, danger there with him, we see that he's also deeply, deeply personal. He woos. He calls. He woos. He can be resisted. Um, there is this back and forth with the Spirit that that's, has explicitly relational, deeply relational term, uh, terms. And then, uh, and then uh, third reason why this is actually really joyful for us to be in the Spirit uh, and to talk about the Spirit tonight is that we actually can't do and execute what it is God desires for us. We can't experience God's will apart from the Spirit of God. So it's the Spirit of God himself who, uh, who empowers us to do what it is that God's called each of us to do. So in the very end of Luke 24, um, where after Jesus was, had died, had risen from the dead, and we'll, we'll talk into what he, he taught his disciples after he rose from the dead. Um, and the very last thing he mentioned in, in, uh, 24, in chapter 24 of Luke, uh, right before the, the book ends, he says, hey guys, like the great, it's like Luke's version of the Great Commission, and, and then he, he said, uh, he said, so this wonderful thing is going to happen. Stay put. Stay put until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, all of this mission and this great stuff 
and like experiencing a part of God's great plan uh, for you individually. All of that is all out in front of you, but you can't experience one, one inch of it apart from God's empowering through his Holy Spirit. And so he told them just to hang on until God's Spirit was to descend on them in a special way. So uh, we can't experience God's mission um, apart from God's Spirit. And then, and then lastly, um, Jesus in, in John 15 and 16, he talked a lot about the Spirit in, in those chapters. And he said something remarkable that maybe you've had questions about as you've uh, studied about Jesus and maybe read through the Gospels. And this was before Jesus was, was crucified and, and would be risen from the dead and then ascended to the Father. Um, he actually says, hey, uh, the Father and I, we are going to send you the Helper. And the Helper will be a witness to me and to all these things you've seen. And then he said something peculiar. He says, it's actually better that I go so that the Holy Spirit could come, so that the helper, the counselor could come. And, and the disciples were perplexed, and many people throughout all history have been perplexed. Why and in what way could it be better that the physical incarnate Jesus, the like real guy, flesh and blood guy, why is it, how and what, in what way could it possibly be better that he's not here and instead we have the Holy Spirit? Here's lots of reasons for this, but but here's the one that's, that's most important for us tonight, and it's this. Through the Holy Spirit, who is also called in the New Testament the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Jesus, um, those who are followers of Jesus are given God's Spirit as a gift. And here's the remarkable thing. Jesus, whenever he took on flesh and dwelt among us, he, he was on purpose limited. By taking on his humanity, he's also inviting a measure of limitation because he became, he's has always been outside of time. Now he's sort of defined within a particular place and time, locked in. All right, now he's also divine and that's, that's it for another uh, theological uh, uh, discussion. But nevertheless, he, he, by taking on humanity, he became limited. What Jesus is saying when he says, it's better that I leave because I send the Holy Spirit, he's saying that now through the Holy Spirit, Jesus can be multiply incarnate throughout all of his followers for the rest of history. The, the Spirit actually enables the very life of Jesus, the same, that same man, for that life to be manifest and incarnate, but not just manifest as a first century Jewish man in the first half of the first century in an obscure area of Palestine, but for, for, that, same, for that same person to become manifest in manifold cultures around the world, in men and women around the world for all of history. And so Jesus said, it's better actually that you have the Holy Spirit because more people can actually experience me, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit because he's in and working through his followers, not just in that time, but for all of time. 
in, in the church. So isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Okay, I think that's, I think that's cool. Uh, that's that like, I, I read like five books uh, in order just to tell you that. Um, so that, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, a little time out. If you want to pursue more of greater understanding of the Holy Spirit, in particular, how does the Spirit work in relation to mission, which we'll talk a fair about. Uh, there's a really good book called The Holy Spirit and Mission by Gary Tyra. I would recommend this to you. Uh, he is, uh, comes from a charismatic background uh, by tradition, and it is a, um, but it's, it's a broadly kind of um, orthodox Christian understanding of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And so regardless of kind of where you come from tradition-wise, uh, I, I think this will be helpful for you. So it's been really helpful for me, so I just wanted to give you this as a resource. Yes. Gary Tyra is his name. All right, so uh, where we're going to go from now is um, I want to give you a... Um, I want to start with Jesus. Uh, since Jesus is where God ultimately reveals himself. I'm going to start with Jesus and how Jesus related to the Spirit. And then at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, he did something really remarkable. He actually talked about the Spirit in relationship with the Old Testament and in relationship with this mission that he was starting that would go into the New Testament into where we are today. So, uh, so we're going to go, we're going to start with Jesus, um, and then we're going to go back to the Old Testament, understand Jesus and the, Old, and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and then forward Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and mission as defined by Jesus in, later in the New Testament. Okay, so that's where we're going to go uh, here, here briefly. So uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, um, he was born, right? Uh, now, how was he born? The very beginning of the story of Jesus, according to Matthew and according to Luke, uh, it, it includes the account of the birth of Jesus that's remarkable. Um, that Jesus, uh, his taking on flesh and becoming a human, was actually the product of a remarkable, um, unprecedented um, event in which the Holy Spirit, it says, um, hovered over Mary. And the word that it says for hovered, incidentally, is the exact same word that was used in the Old Testament in Genesis 1, chapters verses 1 and 2, that the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the deep right before creation happened. And so we have Jesus, his very coming into existence as a person in flesh, is a remarkable product, and we have to use our language carefully here, but it isn't surprising that we see that the Holy Spirit is involved, that there's no, there's no earthly father, that God's presence is over Mary such that now we see that she becomes pregnant with Jesus. Now, some biblical theology 
whenever the Holy Spirit is involved, whether it's in the Old Testament, starting with creation itself, uh, the Old Testament in regards to its anointing people to, to do special things, so David, uh, uh, to empower people to do special things. You know the first example of someone being filled with the Holy Spirit? You know what they were? Musicians. They were, music- they were your, your, worship, your worship leaders. Um, empowered to make stuff, to make, mu- make music. Anyway, so whenever the Spirit's involved, we see that it is going to be a manifestation of God to do something creative and powerful. In other words, whenever the Spirit's involved, it's always connected with mission. With mission. So we see the Spirit involved hovers over Mary, and then what happens? Jesus is born. So we know this is something that's really special with, his, uh, uh, with how he, he took on flesh. Now, um, so we see Jesus, his, the conception is involving the Holy Spirit. Whenever he comes onto the scene and begins his public ministry, do you remember the first thing that happens to him is, uh, is his baptism. And in his baptism, we see this in Mark. Look at Mark chapter 1. It's really interesting. We see Jesus... Uh, he, he comes to John the Baptist, and then there's inter, interchange between Jesus and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like, I shouldn't, be, you should, I shouldn't baptize you, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, nevertheless, um, uh, it's, it's proper for us to fulfill all righteousness, so this is going to happen. And so, and so John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and what happens? Immediately, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends on Jesus as a dove. And then the voice of the Father says, Behold, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit descending on him, validating him as, in fact, God's special, unique Son, empowering him to do something special. We don't know yet in the story what he's going to do. We know he's going to do something special. And then, and then the, the very voice of God confirming that, this is my son. So we have Jesus in his baptism and a special experience of the Holy Spirit that other people uh, could, uh, could hear, even though there was some mystery around what exactly was said. And then what's fascinating is right before he begins, now he's baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then according to Luke, Luke chapter 4, that immediately the Holy Spirit leads him, and I said this specifically, that the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so Jesus, who is, who is conceived by God's Spirit, now has been baptized and affirmed by God's Spirit, and God's Spirit now leads them, him into this time of remarkable testing and trial for Jesus. And so he goes and experiences this testing and trial. He comes through and he actually succeeds. Where everyone else in similar situations have failed, we see Jesus actually succeeds in that period of testing. So he really does trust God's spirit in a remarkable way. And then in Luke uh, 4, he goes directly into a synagogue and he reads something in the Old Testament that's pretty remarkable says this, oh, well, that fell. 
Uh, and he came up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue and on the Sabbath day he stood up and he read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So now Jesus, as he begins his ministry, he's now proven himself to be faithful to the Spirit, trusting the Spirit. Now he goes in and he says that this Old Testament prophecy of one who's going to be anointed by the Spirit to set the captives free, Jesus says, that's me. And so we see him faithful, submissive to the Spirit. Um, he ends up calling some disciples to himself. And, and what does he want his disciples to experience? We see that he wants his disciples to experience mission. And this fascinating story in Matthew Chapter 9, I think. Look at Matthew 9. Uh, so yeah, or sorry, Matthew uh, 10. Um, no, at the very end of Matthew 9, I was right. It's one of my favorite verses of all the Bible. Those, of you, uh, If you have like an evangelistic heart, if you have a heart for people who, who don't know Jesus, but you have a great desire that they know Jesus. The very end of chapter 9, uh, uh, Jesus says, uh, and then he says to his, his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And, um, and for years, I've, I've prayed this for our church and for, and for uh, um, the, the front range, um, believing that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, for, are few. And um, and what's interesting is that this desire actually is followed by Jesus calling now in chapter 10. He follows that up. He calls the disciples. So Jesus is bringing out the disciples. So he's calling these laborers now for this harvest that is to be reaped. And then, and then he sends them out. Uh, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them. So he sends them out to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel um, and uh, and so you're kind of prepped for like, hey, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Now he has workers. So this is going to be, this is like, they're going to need like, there's going to be such a harvest here that you're going to have to bring like bushel, like giant vats and people are just going to be coming left and right. It's going to be so easy for these disciples because of the, of the harvest. And then, and then he describes how actually taking up that harvest feels like. How does, how does that feel? What's the experience of that? Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's like, okay, so this is going to be a little harder. Uh, be, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Gosh, Jesus. Doesn't sound very nice. Uh, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, 
So what are we supposed to do whenever we experience this persecution? Here's the key. Do not be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Spirit of your Father is another term given to the Holy Spirit here. And so Jesus now, who is a man of the Spirit, now is called in his disciples and gives them like this test run of a mission. He previews for them how that mission is to be accomplished actually isn't through the skill of your own words. It's not through the power of your own persuasion, but it's actually through the words of God's Spirit that will be spoken in and through you in the context of the heat of that mission. So he gives them a preview of that. And then uh, Jesus, moving forward in his life, we see that he um, goes uh, to the cross and he dies. He absorbs the, the punishment for all of our sin and himself. Um, he raises from the dead uh, to the shock of all of his disciples, by the way. No one thought that would happen. And then, and then what does he do? Luke 24. So now look to Luke 24. So he's risen from the dead. And, and think of all the questions the disciples had for Jesus and all the things that he could do for them uh, in that moment. Uh, and, and what Jesus decided was most important for them is to actually teach them about the Old Testament. Um, and so uh, pick, pick up uh, verse 36. And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still... Uh, while they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling, he said to them, do any of you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish and he took and he ate it before them. So, so he first of all proved to them that he was actually alive and in a physical form. They weren't seeing a vision. After that was established, then verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, Jesus the Messiah, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So now Jesus points them back to all of Scripture, to all of in our Old Testament. And he says that all of these things in the Old Testament, everything was pointing to me. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So he had them go back into the Old Testament to understand everything about Jesus from the Old Testament. And now he's saying, all of this has now come to place, so now let's look forward to the future that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So mission beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus now ends his earthly ministry here, according to, to Luke, explaining to them that everything about him was actually foreseen in the Old Testament 
and that this Old Testament actually, actually for sale, not just himself, but also what was to happen in the future with this mission of the church. And mysteriously, it's all going to come about when they are clothed with power from on high. Thank you for listening to The Well Podcast. For resources and information on how you can support our mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, please visit us online at www.boulderwell.org.